From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. So we began a message series a few weeks ago called First Things First, and this stems from this verse, which will be on the screens for there for you. You'll probably also see it on the chalkboard there out in the Harvest Cafe. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let me say that again. But seek first. Look at somebody and say first. His kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is something Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you notice, he said seek first. He didn't say seek second or third, or after, or when you're done doing everything else you got to do, or when you feel like it, or when you get enough time, or maybe if someone else is doing it around the corner, you can join in on them if you feel like it. He says, seek first. And then if you notice, he says, his kingdom, not your kingdom. He didn't say, seek first your kingdom. Seek first his kingdom, not my kingdom. We're not building an empire here, and his righteousness Righteousness that he deems to be righteous. Righteousness that comes from God. Not what I think is right kind of living. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. If you think about the things that you seek first, he says seek first his kingdom. And this is what this series has been all about. Um, Jesus said this in the context of worry because most of the time we don't prioritize God. We don't prioritize Jesus because we are so concerned about worried about life. Right? We get so concerned and worried about the things in life that we don't prioritize. And so in the context of worry, he's saying, whoa, 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 slow down. Seek first, because all these things will be given to you also. All the things that you fret about, all the things that you worry about, that you concern yourselves about, they'll work themselves out if you put Jesus at the center. And you know what? Even when it sometimes doesn't feel like they're, they're working themselves out, that they're not falling into place, Jesus, at the end of this sermon, he said, those who take these words of mine and they put them into practice, they're like a wise builder who built on a solid foundation. Because when the storm of life comes, and it's going to come, and we can get worried about the storm, the house will shake, but it's okay because we're on a firm foundation. Seek first, he says. And so this series has been around this idea of putting first things first, and the first thing that we need to put is Jesus. And so we looked at this verse uh, extensively in the first uh, first message of this series, and then we looked at what John had to say about how how uh, we love because God first loved us, and then Pastor Mitch shared last week, and then today I want to talk about why we need to put Jesus first. If we're going to put first things first, why is Jesus the first thing that we need to put first? So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, let us know, and we will get you one, or you can pull out an app. There's a free app called Version Bible app that has uh, access to, I think, almost every translation you could possibly imagine, so... Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 15. It says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God. If you're, let me just pause here. If you're ever curious about what God is like, the character, the nature of God, you look at the Old Testament, you're like, you get confused about certain things. Look to Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. He is the, the image of the invisible God, the God that you worship, the God that you don't know about, he's saying. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn. Look at somebody and say firstborn. 
over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Not in some things, not in just certain things, but in everything. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. If you continue in your faith. This is the gospel that you heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. God, I pray in the name of Jesus this morning that you speak to our hearts about your supremacy. I pray, God, that you would reveal, Lord, your preeminence to us this morning. God, as I share, I pray, Lord, that you'd ultimately speak to every single heart, Lord, about how it's all about you. You are the center of the universe. You are the center of life. And I pray that this morning our, our minds would shift our hearts, God, our perspective would shift in such a way as to put you where you are supposed to be, God, and that is above all things. So we submit, God, this, this time we have together to you in Jesus' name. Amen. My dad used to teach me when I was a little kid that if I ate my vegetables, I'd grow hairs on my chest. And I remember sitting at the dinner table thinking, you don't realize that I don't want hairs on my chest. <laughs> And I'm looking at my vegetables going, these are a lot less appetizing now. <laughs> he used to teach me that if I ate my vegetables, I'd grow hairs on my chest, but he didn't realize I didn't want any part of that. My dad has, uh, has a lot of jokes. He's got jokes for days. In, in fact, if you've met him, he's been here a few times, um, you'll realize that he's the kind of guy that you don't know sometimes if he's telling the truth or if he's joking. Because he'll just start telling a story and you're like, I don't know. We figured this out now. Like, I don't even believe anything comes out of his mouth anymore because... <laughs> Because of this. I remember um, when we would go to department stores like Sears, you know, the, the ones that have two levels where you got to take the escalator to get to the second level. I used to love escalators, except for when my dad told us that we need to be careful. You need to be careful when you approach an escalator because there's people living under there who got sucked up <laughs> because they stepped on the crack. And, and for years, he would demonstrate how we needed to be careful because as he, as a grown man, would approach an escalator in front of everyone in the store, he would take giant steps like this with like a look of fear on his face. Be careful, he would say. And, and you know what? We soon realized that, that he was not telling the truth. But he, honestly, to this day, sometimes I'm, I'm very careful. I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm going to step on that crack. I won't get sucked in, but something's going to happen. I might trip and fall. I don't know if you've ever been told something that was wrong as though it was true. I don't know if you've ever been taught something that was wrong as though it was truth. Uh, my parents used to make me eggs a certain way. It was called egg special. And I loved egg special. It was the greatest kind of way to eat eggs. 
My, my parents would wake up, and it'd be Saturday morning, and they're like, oh, we're going to make some eggs special. I'm like, yes, it was a great way to eat eggs. And then I went and visited a friend's house once, and they were making omelets. And they said, hey, do you, do you want an omelet? I said, yeah. You know, I don't think I've ever had an omelet. True story. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had an omelet. You've never had an omelet? No, I don't think I have. I, I, to be honest, I don't even know what they look like. And they proceed to make me an omelet. And I'm looking at this thing. I'm like, that is not an omelet. That is egg special. And I learned, I kid you not, I learned when I was about 16, 17 years old what an omelet was. And that my, my parents had just told me something that wasn't true, as though it was true. I don't know if you've ever been told something that was wrong, as though it was right. This was the situation the, the church in Colossae were in, that Paul was writing to. And the reason he was writing to him, that the book of Colossians is written by the Apostle Paul. If you don't know who the Apostle Paul is, he's a significant leader in the early church um, and responsible for a, a large part of the New Testament that we have today. He once, once went by the name of Saul, who was a, a religious man, a very zealot religious man, a Jewish guy who was out on the road one day to persecute Christians. And Jesus got a hold of him and changed his life. And so he, he's been on this mission and for the rest of his life was to just spread the gospel. And so he wrote the book of, of Colossians with his companion Timothy to the, to the church in a small city of Colossae. And if you didn't know this, just as a way of information for those of you who don't, we can't assume that everybody does, the New Testament books, most of those books are actually letters written to somebody or groups of people by someone about truth. And we've just collected them and put them under scrutiny and testing and, and collected them and put them in, into the canon of Scripture. And so that's what the book of Colossians is. And so Paul is, is writing to the, this church because he received a report that they were struggling with the Christological heresy. Christology is the is study of the nature and person and rule of Christ, the Messiah. And they were, they were struggling with this idea. They were taught by false teachers, and these false teachers were, were teaching them that Jesus was not, in fact, divine, that he was not God. And so Paul is writing to them to address these issues, and I think, he, I think Paul recognizes something. I think he recognizes something, and it's important for us today um, as well, that your view about Christ is crucial. How you look at and how you view Christ will impact every area of your life. And this is not just something that you can set once, but probably a daily thing. How, it will impact how you, how you live every day. It will impact how you work, and where you work, and why you work. It will impact what you do with your finances when you get paid. It will impact how you interact with your family, how you serve, how you react in and out of church. It will impact who you are. It will shape your heart, your view of Christ. Who is Christ to you? Is he God? Or is he just a good guy? Is he a good moral teacher? Is he a fairy tale? Or is he Lord? Who is Christ is of the utmost importance. It's the first thing before all things. It has insane practical implications. So Paul is speaking to the church in a Colossae, addressing who Christ is, addressing the DFT of Christ, and today it's the why. Why is Jesus the first thing? Now listen, once we dive into this, this is, this is crucial. This is key. This is, this is incredibly important. This is the who is Christ to you. It's kind of like that, that part in the relationship when you ask your, you know, the other person, what are we? 
You ever had that? I don't know if you had that. Me and Jody had that. We never had a, a specific date where I asked her out and said, would you be my boyfriend? And she's like, yes, I will. And then we had like, oh, this, this is our, our day. We never had that. some point as we were growing in relationship with one another, getting to know one another, we realized, hey, we are more than just friends now. What are we? And we need to do this with Jesus. We need to, we need to do this with God. What, what are we? Who are you to me? I know who you are to Parkway. I know who you are as revealed in Scripture, but who are you to me? And so the Colossians were confused about who Jesus was because someone was teaching them that he was not God. And so Paul is, is writing to them to address this false information that they began to believe. And he says this, key verse, incredible verse, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the God that you worship, he's saying, the God that you know, the God that you follow, the God that created the heavens and the earth. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And that word firstborn is where I want to land today, is where I want to talk about. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Some translations you may have in your Bible says, of all creation. Now, first and foremost, what this doesn't mean is that Jesus is the first created being. He is not the firstborn by our understanding. Jesus was not created. Jesus was not created. There are some groups in our world today that teach this. There are religions that teach this. There are cults. There are, there are, are groups of people that have the appearance of Christianity but have moved away and departed from the authority of Scripture that teach this. Mormons teach this. Mormons teach that Jesus is the literal offspring of the Heavenly Father and the Heavenly Mother. They also believe that he's the, the brother of Satan, that he's a created being. Jehovah Witnesses teach this. They believe that Jesus is the, is the created archangel Michael. Uh, Islam, Muslims teach that he was just a man. Jesus was just a man. He was a prophet. He was the prophet that came before Muhammad. And in their view, he, and in this view, they have very high respect for him, but he is not God. He is not, he is a created being. He is not divine. But we don't hold to this. Like this is just, this is theology, right? This is just teaching this morning. We don't hold to this. And this is the similar error that the Colossians were facing. We hold to the authority of Scripture. We hold to the authority of Scripture. Scripture is our highest authority. It's our standard. It's our rules. It's, it's 101, right? Um, Jehovah Witnesses and Mormons and, and others, they often have some founder who, who apparently received some sort of separate revelation from Scripture. Separate revelation from Scripture, and that's what they've established their beliefs around. They've, they've, received, they've received some sort of information. Maybe it's from, from, a, from an angel that appeared to them. Maybe it's from something else, and that's what established their belief system. And they will actually teach that what we believe, that our Bible is, is not reliable. That over the years, as it's been translated and, and, and transferred and transmitted and copied and copied, that, that it's lost its reliability. But we don't get the reliability of Scripture that way. We don't believe that. We actually, we actually know the reliability by looking at the amount of original copies of manuscripts we have. And as we compare all the amount of copies of original manuscripts we have to one another, we can see the reliability of the text. So you track it. Right, so if I have a copy of 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 original manuscripts, not the ones that you find at the at the Christian bookstore, but the original manuscripts, and I look and compare all those copies together, I can check for the for the errors. 
And I think that the, the, the differences between the copies only account for about 5%. So what we see in the original manuscripts is 95% accuracy. And the, the differences, the errors that we do see, do not change the content. It's usually just a, a phraseology of some sort. Are you tracking with me? Right? And so, so it's important that if, if you look at a, another religion or a cult, this is just important, you need to know this, and they teach a different Jesus, or they, or they present something different that you find in Scripture, a red flag needs to go up right away. A red flag needs to go up. Paul said this to a couple of churches. He said to the church in Corinthians, he said, I'm afraid that as the servant deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I'm afraid, he says, that as the serpent deceived Eve in the beginning, that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus from the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily. He said this to the church in Galatia. He says, I am astonished that, how, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, catch this, or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. If we or an angel, if a person or some sort of spirit, can I tell you that there are spirits in this world that are leading people to believe a different gospel than the one presented in Scripture? I'm not just talking about people. There are forces at work in this world, demonic forces, that are distorting truth in order to lead people away. If we or an angel, he says this, as I've said before, I'll say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So scripture has clear warnings to be careful about the teachings of Jesus that are different from scripture. Different from scripture. The firstborn does not mean that Jesus was created. The firstborn does not mean that Jesus was created. He's not a created being. Paul goes on to say this in Colossians verse 16. For in him all things were created. All things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Jesus isn't a created being. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is not a created being. Jesus is the creator. He cannot be created. If he was created, he couldn't create all things. If he was created, he couldn't create all things. He is the creator alongside the Father and the Holy Spirit. They are one. Jesus is God. When Jesus uh, 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 rose from the dead, they worshipped him as God. Paul said this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So that just leads me to ask us today, what does firstborn mean then? What does firstborn mean and what does it mean for Jesus? Firstborn is a term that, um, from our understanding, usually refers to the firstborn child, right? I think of my, my son Elijah. He's my firstborn. Now, in ancient societies, particularly in, in patriarchal societies, the firstborn had a special social significance. The firstborn male, particularly, had a special birthright because of their birth order. Just because they were born first, they get, they get special endowment. 
I wonder if anybody here today felt like their sibling was the, was the special one, right? Maybe, you're, maybe that was you. You just knew you were mama's favorite, right? Or maybe you know, I feel like most of us would assume that it was someone else in their family. I, I always assumed my sister, ironically enough, she's the firstborn, was the special one. I remember we move around a lot all the time. We, we, we lived in so many different houses, and she always got to pick the room. <laughs> there was only two rooms left. There's only two of us, and she always got choice. And I remember one time we, we moved into this house, and it had a, like a bay window that went all the way kind of up to the top of the building or the, the house. And so she picked the room that had this, this bay window, but little did she know that it was the smaller of the two rooms. So she had to give up her double bed and take my twin. Joke's on her. <laughs> right? The firstborn male had special social significance. In Judaism, the firstborn received a double inheritance, a double portion of everything that their father owned. Imagine after your, your father, your parents pass, and they're going to, to divide the estate. And your older brother, your older sister's like, well, okay, I got I got a double. I got a double. Well, why? Well, because I'm the firstborn. That's 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 what happened. They would get a double portion of everything. When you, when you learn in Scripture, Jesus tells the story of the, the prodigal son, the younger brother that goes off, and the older brother that's upset about it. Even when he comes back, they're like, he's like, why are you bringing him in? And the older son is upset, but he gets a double portion. He's already got a double portion. He has double of what his brother even squandered. They got a double portion of everything that their father had, and, and here's why. Um, number one is the firstborn made the father into a father. The firstborn made the father into a father. So if you remember the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob had sons. One of them went by the name of Joseph, and we probably know Joseph's story. You know, the, the robe of many colors, right? If For those of you who don't know, Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat might ring a bell. Well, his father Jacob, when he brought all of his boys together to, to bless them, he said to Reuben, he said, you are my firstborn, you are my might, and the firstfruits of my strength. Sometimes I'll say to, to Elijah, my, my oldest son, to encourage him, I'll be like, do you know what makes you special? You made me a daddy. And I'll watch his, like, his just, the glimmer in his eye. There's something that just shifts in his countenance in those moments. You made me a daddy. No, don't worry, I already have something for, for Joshua when he's, like, upset because he's the middle child. Anybody a middle child here today? You just kind of feel like you're forgotten? Well, just let me just tell you that, that everybody likes the stuff in the middle of the Oreo, okay? So... There you go. That's the best stuff. Everything else just sandwiches the good stuff. That's what I'm going to say to him. The firstborn made the father into a father. The firstborn also paved the way for more children. It was believed that the firstborn actually opened their mother's womb so that they could have more children. And so they were given a double portion as, a, as an expression of gratitude. Thank you for opening. Thank you for paving the way. And then finally, the firstborn had a social obligation to carry on the family legacy. It was, it was their job, it was their role to continue in their father's stead, perpetuating his memory when he passed. The firstborn had, had significance. That Most of the time this was applied to the firstborn male child, but the emphasis is not on birth order. Although it was often applied to the firstborn, it's not on birth order. The emphasis is actually on role and preeminence. If you remember the stories of, of David and Goliath, right? David is the young shepherd boy who takes on the, the champion Goliath soldier and defeats him. Well, David was the youngest of seven brothers, and he was chosen by God to be king. And, and it says this of him in Psalms 89. It says, I will make him the firstborn. I'll make the youngest the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. He gets the role and preeminence of king. Isaac and Jacob, 
You know Isaac and Jacob in the Old Testament, they had the, the birthright of the firstborn, but neither of them were the firstborn. So firstborn has less to do about birth order and more about role and position and authority. So let's bring this back to Colossians. When Paul is speaking to the Colossian church about Christ, he's not speaking about where Jesus was born in order. He's not speaking about that to his earthly mother that he's the firstborn out of his family. What he's saying is that he's the firstborn over everything. He has preeminence. He is supreme. Another way to say this is that everything belongs to Jesus. Everything. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, which we'll touch on. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. In everything. In everything he might have the supremacy. Over your whole life. Over everything that you do. Over your family. Over your spouse. Over your kids, over your job, over your circumstance, over your health, over your money, over your positions, over your ideas, over your opinions, over your dreams, over your aspirations, over your hang-ups, over your purposes, over all that you are, Jesus is supreme. He is the firstborn. It's all about Jesus. End of story. Enough said. What is Parkway about? Jesus. What is church about? Jesus. Why do we lift up Jesus? Because it's all about Jesus. If you want Jesus to be Jesus, to be truly who he is in your life, then you've got to give him supremacy. I want, I want Jesus to just to be Lord of my life. Then he's got to be supreme. I just want more of Jesus. Then he's got to be supreme. Just, I just want more of God. Then he's got to be supreme. I want Jesus to be who Jesus is. Then he's got to be supreme. Because he's the firstborn over all creation. You know, Christ is the center of the universe. Universities such as Oxford, Cambridge, and Harvard all began as institutions to love God with one's mind. Universities. Hospitals. People inspired by, by Christ's compassion and care for the poor and the sick began institutions to care for poor and sick, which led to modern-day hospitals. Did you know that? Our modern-day hospitals. We have hospitals today because of Jesus. That our time, the way in which we view years, is centered around his, his, his birth. The cent Jesus, Christ is the center of the universe. He should be the center of our lives. Even people who do not follow Jesus, their lives are impacted by his life. Which is crazy. He should be the center of our lives. In this church at Parkway, Jesus is key. We've talked a little bit about at stat, with the staff in the church about what, what are our values. What are our values as a church and what will be our values? Because values hold you to a standard, right? Values hold you to a standard to keep and, and to move through. And as we, as we discuss what are some things that we value and what are some things that we will value, do you know what comes to the top of the list? Jesus. Jesus is our key. It's Jesus over everything. So we will lift up Jesus over everything. In all that we do, we will seek to glorify him as supreme. Thank you so much for listening. 
We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.